And we will close you down because you don't have enough place for the cars to come. And they said, well, what are we going to do? And this commissioner says, Save a question mark. Good afternoon, troops, and welcome to episode six of You Call That Radio. Today, we are going to make podcast history by zapping between two very, 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 very different worlds. One is Kelburn Garden Party, the other is Transmit. We were on location for both of them. Got lots of stuff coming up, and the main event is an interview with Darren Loki McGarvey. But what was Transmit like? What was Kelburn like? We'll go into that in a wee minute, but... I've just got to say, my highlight was Steve Mason, my hero. I grew up with the Beta Band, my favourite band as a youngin, and I love all his soul material. And Steve Mason dedicated a song to me on the stage at Transmit yesterday, which was a big deal. It was a big deal. Listen, listen, let's just listen to it. So just listen here. This song's called Rocket from the new record. I'd like to dedicate it to Mark McGee. No, well, no, no, where's Mark McGee gone? There he is right there. Aye, the wee Rocket of Glasgow. See? Wait a minute, did he just call me a rocket? Wait, 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 wait. I, think, I, think, I think maybe he just called me a rocket. Well, anyway, Steve Mason's playing with the Gyro Babies. Just announced today that Steve Mason will play with the Gyro Babies on the 21st of September. This song's called Rocket from the new record. I'd like to dedicate it to Mark McGee. No, well, no, no, where's Mark McGee gone? There he is right there. Aye, the wee rocket of Glasgow. He called me a rocket? It sounds like he called me a rocket. He did call me a rocket. Anyway, Steve Mason is playing the Gyro Baby's 10th anniversary gig on September the 21st alongside Mungo's Hi-Fi, John McMustard and Friends, The Moods and a special guest. Get involved. There will be after parties. There will be daytime parties. Plus there's a big party on the Friday night as well. So go get your weekend tickets for Barris Fest. I'm just going to listen that back. I think I think I called, I think he I think Steve Mason called me a rocket. I think we need to do a little more all-weather testing. Amen. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. All right. Okay. So just I'm dying a, for a piss. Just to get a level here. Uh, could you just introduce yourself? My name is Hannibal Benefit. Where's Ned's toilet from here? Uh, I need to run, I was desperate. Right, the nearest toilet is. Um, I, I, I would go. I would just go to the one up there. See the, the next to the square stage? Yeah. It's probably the closest one. And then you get Portaloos down there next to the smugglers. Okay. So, yeah, okay. Okay, I guess. Okay, one, two, one, two. Right. Yeah, that was straight, right? Okay, we'll try it again. Okay, one, two, one, two. One, two, one, two. Okay, one, two, one, two. And he's off. He's actually off. Obviously, the toilet's more important to him than this podcast. Than my livelihood. 
We'll maybe try and get a wee word with him later on. Midnight Inventions Hi, I am a guru. Now, I only want you to be happy and rich beyond your wildest pop-tarts. So, I'm going to introduce you to a little thing called Midnight Inventions. Midnight is where I invent stuff. You're welcome. Welcome in. Welcome to Midnight Inventions. You are at Midnight Inventions. Imagine the abundance. Imagine the abundance. Boom! What age am I? What age is Big Mac Maguru? I am five million pounds years old. That's what age I am. That's the age of Mac Maguru. Big Mac Maguru is going to share with you Ways to get healthy, to get rich, to have anything you want. You can steal my ideas. I don't mind you stealing my ideas. Steal my idea, make a million pounds. All my little seats will turn into a tree for me. You don't believe me? Welcome to Midnight Inventions. We're going to share some ideas that will make you millions and millions and millions of pounds. Just good luck. Take help yourself. I've got plenty. I've got plenty. First up, reverse microwaves. After I had a workout the other day, I had a workout. Star jump, star jump, star jump, star jump. I got thirsty. I went for the, I went for milk. More star jump, star jump, star jump, star jump. And my milk was not as cold as I would like it to be. Boom! I got the idea. A midnight invention. This is midnight. I star jump at midnight. I don't care. I don't care. I will star jump at midnight. How about a reverse microwave? They can make the milk cold again. Yeah. You can have that idea. Write it down, put it in your fridge freezer so you don't forget or a post it or whatever. I, number two, number two. I had a spell mistake. Now, I, I don't, I only have one mistake a year. So, and, and they always turn into great ideas. And this is an example. I tried to type in T-shirts, but I wrote T-shirts. So what to do is invent a T-shirt. It sounds great, and I'm sure it'll look great. Just imagine it, imagine the abundance, imagine the abundance, T-shirts, get it copyrighted, do well, enjoy. Number three, Midnight Invention. Number three is, I needed some staples. I went into staples, and they did not have an abundance of staples. No, 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 they had no staples. They didn't sell staples. Staples, the supermarket or big shop or whatever it is, they did not have any staples. So I have a, an invention, I came to me at midnight, a midnight invention, boom, boom, why don't you start a big shop called Actual Staples that sells staples actually. Yeah, yeah, so there's three ideas, get incorporated, go and make your millions and give us a little shout. I, I don't want anything, I don't want any credit, I don't want anything. Your joy is enough to make me happy. Let's star jump. Let's star jump. Let's star jump. Breathe, breathe, star jump. Let's make money. Let's make money. Healthy, happy money. Yes! Midnight Inventions. Hello. Call that radio. Call that radio. Hey, Sally Liz. Have you been to one before? A half eye. Aye, what would you say about it? Aye, fucking good. In one word? Good. Five words. That's actually harder than I thought for a man that knows his very words to speak. That's harder than I actually thought. Aye, there we go.
We are live at Kilburn Garden Party. It is a beautiful sunny day. In the background, the Hoochamamas are playing. And I'm about to interview Dan Wokey McGarvey, who's went away for some scran. And he'll be back in a minute. This is the wee sound check to see how it's all sounding. And um, as you can hear, the Hoochamamas are smashing it in the background. In the sunshine, did you enjoy yeah, that? Yeah, I loved it. It was class. It was quite like one of our like favourite sessions in the summer so far. Yeah, absolutely. Have you played Kilburn before? No, that's the first time, so it's a nice little introduction. Have you? So have you been at the festival before? I've not, no. But I actually, see, when I got here, I realised that I last year filmed a wee documentary here with one of the guys in my class. Uh, on, like, I think it's about two yeah. Oh, so yeah. I have no idea who they are, but I recognise the place. Never yeah. played here before. Yeah. So as a first time. Yeah, good stuff. And we've got, oh, they're all, they're all kitting here now. How was, how was that? Yeah, it was good, man. I enjoyed it. It's yeah. fun. Sun's out. Fun's out. Yeah. <laughs> Did he say sun's out, bun's out? <laughs> sun's out, bun's out. So that one of the songs you played there was your new single. Can you tell us a wee bit about that? Jackson man for that, he wrote that. Yeah, um, so the single's called All I See. You can get it on Bandcamp, you can get it on Spotify. Um, I'd prefer if you bought it on Bandcamp, though, to be honest. <laughs> uh, it's a song, I mean, I wrote it. Uh, it's a, it's a kind of a little bit about how, how I can feel sometimes uh, mental health-wise, I guess, and maybe hoping to open a bit more of a dialogue about it. With, you know, it's, I don't think it's something, especially for uh, young males, I don't think young males talk about uh, mental health enough, so that's what the song Absolutely. is about. Absolutely, and it's... Obviously, you're playing the, the Glasgow Barrowlands, which is actually is, is um, raising awareness and some money exactly for, for health musicians, and which is actually probably talking quite a lot about that in the podcast is the the, the helpline that's been set up for the music industry because nobody you don't you don't know you get a real book when you get into music and it's there's a lot of highs and lows. I think you like totally. it's like you're, the buzz of playing to you just you just play to a packed out crowd and it's like the, 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 it's quite common for everyone to get wasted and celebrate and, yeah, then, and then feel depressed the next day yes, totally. I just wanted to say when you were talking about Barris Fest, uh, it's good to let everybody know that for every ticket sold uh, a pound goes straight to Help Musicians UK which I think is an amazing thing So Yeah, and um, we're just going to keep talking about that helpline that's going to be available as well, so as well as the Bat Animal Festival's coming up? Uh, well we're doing Hebkilt at the end, uh, Hebkilt and Butte at the end of the month. I think Hebkilt we're doing the 21st and Butte we're doing the 26th, just weekends apart. So for any festival goers out there, come check us out. We'll be on the main stage at Butte and we're on uh, and check us out on Facebook to find out what
We were dancing about in the forest stage, it's packed to the rafters. The sun is splitting the trees, but after wandering around, you know, the, the rock music in the main stage wasn't really our thing. Rebecca Vassman was brilliant, but someone else came on. And it's just not our kind of music at the thing, and it's young people having the time of their lives. It's sunny. We decided to retire back to the VIP bit, like the old fogies that we are. Why are we back here? Just to get some chill time, let the kids do what they're doing. <laughs> do you going to do some, some yoga here? or? Could do. Yeah. Never know. I'm having a little, a little salt and vinegar square at the moment. Yep, some Chris, <laughs> important to get, to get the salt in you. Important to get hydrated. Are you um, in the water? I'm on the. I'm on the. I'm on the. Yeah, I'm on the water. She's got fancy water. You. It looks like you've brought your own limes. I did bring my own limes in a Tupperware. Actually, no shit. <laughs> this is rock and roll. Rock and roll backstage in the VIP. Rocking a Tupperware dish with some light, fresh limes. I, I'm enjoying some uh, six pounds Carlsberg export out of, out of can. I think. So yeah. We, 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 we agree that um, if we were if we were 16 we'd be here mm, absolutely I would be like giving it the biggest biggest wish that you can give um, but it's, it's pretty it's pretty full on they're pretty intense so what, uh, what age what age what age do you think you would be here to well I, I was here in, like, I did come here when I was like 16 17 well, what's basically what happened is gig in the green mashed up with tea in the park so and then a decade has passed so it's quite hard to kind of put, find its identity to what it is we're actually, you know, watching here. Yeah. Um, but I mean, Glasgow Green, I'm getting a bit nostalgic. We, I, I was here for um, Eminem. Yeah, I saw that too. Slipknot. No. Oasis. Yeah. Primal Scream. Finley Quay never turned up. Mercury did. It was a, it was, it was good times for a 16-year-old me. I would argue that the music was better in those days, but that's what all old people do. So maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just actually old, or the lineup just doesn't seem to be doing it for me. But we have got Steve Mason, Richard Ashcroft, Fontaine's, Fontaine's DC. Yeah. So we have got some new music. Well, the Dunch were brilliant. Yeah, we really enjoyed the Dunch. Really and Rebecca Vassman was was good and. Uh, I think it's fine though. I think the, the kids need somewhere to go so they don't come to the things I go to. If they turned up at like Kelburn or something like that, I know some do and I'm not slagging off. You know, it's, it's fine. Good on them. I, I was exactly the same. Have a great time. Mostly going to do it at Transmit. So, well, I think it's, you know, it's, 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 it's just about di different things for different people. It's obviously mainstream artists, so yeah. I think if you were in fourth year or fifth year, Something that you would all want to go to. There's acts that everyone can relate to at that age. That would. Like, this yeah. is. This is. Um, this is for them. They don't even care that much about the music, and that's fine as well. They're all just like buzzing off each other's like crazy 
young energy. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, there's a, it's almost also like there's a, a Yeah, it's almost like there's a silent disco going on that we don't know about because everyone's yeah, dancing differently. Dancing to sing it to, but everyone's like... got their own little pre-made dances and they seem to be singing along to other things that aren't actually happening in, in any world that I can hear. And uh, so, yeah, although I accept the criticism of folks saying it's that this place is a nightmare, but it's the first time I've been here since it branded as Transmit, and it's it's okay. I mean, this is still early on, but everyone seems to be having it's good natured. The young ones are having a great time. The old ones are in the VIP, <laughs> soaking up the sun, putting the sun tan lotion on, making sure we've drank enough water. To be fair, it is only four o'clock though, so we'll see how it, see if it transpires. <laughs> see how it transmits later on. Uh, we might be joining. We might be joining them. Yeah. Or or they might just really annoy us because they're not yeah, annoying. No. They're not annoying us. They're just slightly irritating. Yeah. Annoying's not the word. It's, it's just... quite cute in some ways as well. Yeah. It's like wow, they're actually having the best day they're of their entire fun. fucking life. It's they're so probably cool. the first ever swedge, you know what I mean? With their best pals for school or whatever. Yeah. And they've looked forward to this. They've spent a lot of money. I mean, it's yeah. like 200 quid for a weekend ticket here. And you can't even camp. So, um, yeah. Okay, we'll keep you posted. But this is um, signing off from the, the Limes and Tupperware stage. But... <laughs> They're playing our city. I can't. song um, called, I think it's the last song, it's called The Gyros, it's the highs, the lows. We are celebrating 10 years of being a band, and not a very successful band, so 10 years is a long time. And we're going to celebrate it by playing the Barrowlands on September the 21st, with Mungo's Hi-Fi, John McMustard and Friends, The Moods, and our special guest headliner that we will announce on Monday, I think. Or I'll announce it to you later on at Left Open and Wasted. It's called the Gyros. There is a wee bit of swearing on it, and I realise that not everyone is of age to hear swearing, so we're going to change the do I. I found out an interesting thing that someone tried to sue Father Ted for swearing, but it turns out in a legal courtroom that feck is not a swear word. So, we can all sing do I feck. Can you do that? One, two, three. Do you understand? Exactly. <laughs> Do I wanna be a spaceman? I want near these parties and fit in and hugs. They want 
Let's get deep for 10 minutes and learn your skills. We want gyro days and ecstasy pills. We want outdoor tripping on sunny days. And nobody gives a fake what the government says. Can't stand being in the rain, waiting on a train. Drink up to your repetition, ripping out the brain. Monday in environment, teenage retirement. Smoking for a year, but then the way he's higher, man. He's been three years on a sheet of paper. Three years to get, twenty years to pay for. Still have to craft his heart to show. Leave a nervous breakdown on your lunch, or save your heart attack for later. He's got his degree, how he finished his major. A dad, I mean, for gold, he's still a minimum wage. It's the gyros, it's the gyros, it's the highs, the lows, the gyros, the rows. I'll just sit and read the paper, chance my leg. Leighton train skipper, get off scot free from scot rail. Not a criminal, but one time I got jailed. Do I want to join the army? I'm not brave or fearless enough to get blowing up in the war. I don't believe it, the news is misleading. Ripper, Muppet, cheer, bleeding for the Bible. Reading, Vendor, Council, Tax, Bell, I'll camp on a hell. I'll camp on a hell. I'll camp on a hell. I'll fit the council tax bill. I'll camp on a hell. I'll camp on a hell. I'll camp on a hell. That's the gyros. 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 That's the highs, the lows, the gyros, the rows. Get a job, 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 get a job. Oh, you got a job, mate? Get a real job. Get a real job. I've got a real job. Get a mortgage. Get a mortgage. Get a mortgage. Get a second mortgage. Get a second mortgage. Hobbies. Any hobbies? A real hobby. That's the end. Thank you very much. Thank you to all of you Big up to Dan, the channel baby still bang. We're going tomorrow night on the Pyramid stage, 8 o'clock. I hope you can join us for that. Nice one, how are you mate? minutes out of his busy schedule to have a wee chat with us. So that's coming up next, but I just thought I'd answer a few questions that are coming in. But Darth question mark. Remember you can ask us questions by going to call that radio at gmail.com if you're an emailer. If you like an email, fire it to there. If you like to tweet, 
then you can use the hashtag you call that radio or you can tweet at us you can at us at you call that rad one on twitter and we're on facebook.com forward slash you call that radio and the best way to get in touch is probably to become a supporter you can support the podcast enjoy the mincing tatties crew for only £2.40 a month or you can be join the cheeky pizzas for £10 per month and all the support does mean that we can make the show better and we'll also give you discounts bonus material and freebies but also we do mad raffles a couple of times a month as well so so far we've been giving away kill bum tickets the next one's actually going to have tickets to doing the rabble home tickets to Loki's friend show tickets to Colonel Mustard and the Big Bad Wolf Colonel Mustard's late night show as well Colonel Mustard join me Mustard and Friends I think we'll be giving away some tickets to the Barris Fest show and other stuff as well so you find out more about that by checking out our social medias or just joining the Patreon for a £2.40 a month and you automatically go in at the raffle every time we do it plus all the other stuff but anyway you can just going to answer some of these questions quickly I'm not actually the chance to look at these yet but so Corey Jefferson says you up to fuck all Corey what you up to see you up to you up to if you're not from Scotland you up to means what you up to what you up to and I've got a bad habit of actually answering that in a really long way when someone's listening what have you been up to and I just tell them about my day tell them about my week if I've not seen the person in six months and I start trying to get the highlights for them you know, what's important that they should know. And nobody actually cares what I've been up to. Oh, nobody really cares what you've been up to. Some people do, some people do, but in general they just want me to say, fuck all, how are you, mate? What have you been up to? And they just say, nothing much, mate. Same old, same old, working away, working away. And usually if you've got a job, it's working away, and if you've not got a job, it's same old, same old. James Murray. Any harm? Nah. Nah, there is no harm in the vicinity. Although I did hear someone who was puffing a joint, calling it a ham joint last night. It transmit a ham joint. I mean, I've heard of a, a ham dish going for a ham dish, a fish, and I've heard of a ham shank, obviously, but I've never heard someone call a joint a ham joint. So, every day's a school day. Tam Johnson says, what's cricket all about? Now, there's been a lot of cricket chat today. Wait, at this, literally moments ago, it looks like England has won the World Cup of cricket. Now, I don't watch cricket. I have no idea what cricket's all about. I remember playing rounders at school, and I'm assuming it's similar to rounders. Rounders was a good laugh, but I wouldn't want to watch it. But each to their own. But it looks like England have won the World Cup for the first time, which is... Pretty mental since I thought it was just them in Australia that played it. But, fair play. Uh, John the Hat says, San Pellegrino, Tory Fanta, or Orangina in a foil hat. Well, you know, it's, San Pellegrino's been getting some bad press this week because somebody, if on over here in the West End page, it's been shared about 800 times or something. But yeah, it was getting called Tory, Tory Fanta. I've just recently started getting into the thing because when Iron Bruce changed the sugar content, my friend Big Paolo, 
suggested getting into the San Pellegrino because they still had the old sugar. But unfortunately, those days have ended as they've also lowered the sugar intake, which means it's really tough now to get your sugar fix. People are actually getting foreign fanas, American fanas. So I don't know, I, I, I'm not going to call it a Tory fan, but it does have a fancy hat and it is just practically orangina and a foil hat. I was a fan of it, but it's not the same since taking the sugar content down. Sean Panda Nicholson, best Subway sandwich go. I don't know. I, I don't know if it Subway that much. I think it used to be better. I think, I think it used to be better. Maybe they had to lower their sugar content as well or something. I think... I like a meatball marinara sandwich. I used to go for the meatball marinara. And I have all the salad and I have the jalapenos. Make it spicy. But that's only if you're not in a hurry because it's, it's a messy meal. You need to be able to sit down for that one. If you're on the move, then just whatever the sub of the day is. Plenty of Sioux Western sauce, which I think has changed its name. There's been some controversy. It's now called Chipotle. And I never knew that Chipotle and Southwestern, Sioux Western were the same the same thing, but the woman in the shop assures me it is, but I, I don't know if that's true, that's just what she, she told me, but they've definitely not got Sue Western sauce anymore, they've only got Chipotle. Adam Marshall says, Mine Trump tweeted Covfifi, seriously man, what the actual fuck? Yeah, I remember that Covfifi, do you know, we should actually, we should actually do a bad excuses for bad politicians Trump special one week, because there is a lot. Bad excuses for my politicians Blaming all on the other persons it's Bad excuses for my politicians Blaming all on the other persons I misspoke, I was tired Must have lost the dossiers in the tumble dryer fire You remember that? Look the other way I'm gonna seek help or sack my PA Let me be clear, but be very vague my job, I do whatever it takes. Don't call this an apology. Direct your questions to another day. Expenses out of context, now I'm on my way to be with my family. That's all I've got to say. Yeah, because his excuse from that one was is that he obviously it was a. It would look like he just clumsily spelled something wrong with his, with his fat sausage fingers. But, or he maybe tried to eat coffee, I don't know. But I like the way that he kind of styled it out by saying that it was a secret hidden message and those who knew, knew. So you never know. Maybe it was. Maybe it was. Luce Cannon-Anderson, who actually helped us out a couple of shows ago. Shouts to Luce Cannon. He just said simply, Why? I have no idea, mate. I have no idea. Why, why? Well, right now, my why, my why is why am I talking in a microphone myself on a beautiful sunny day when I should be out there doing something better? You know, transmit, Sunday transmit's on right now. I should be going out there. <laughs> but, um, one, one transmit was enough for me this weekend. And I'm doing this podcast because I think I think it's going to be good. Once we get the hang of it, like I said, get me to 10 episodes and I think I'll have figured it all out and what to, you know, how to make it good, entertaining, funny, 
hopefully some of you are enjoying it already as it is, but it is a work in progress. So what, my why is, is why am I doing this? Because I believe it can be a really good show and there's a lot of interesting people that I'd like to speak to. And there's a lot of stuff I'd like to shine a light on. And also, if I could get my rent paid from people who are happy to donate, if I could pay my rent from talking shit into a microphone every week, then I'd be a very happy man. And it would open up so much more space and time for me to do more creative stuff like record music and play gigs and write stuff and, you know, create. So, yeah, that's my way. And if you do want to support, shout-outs to all the Mince and Tatties crew who put in £2.40 a month and the cheeky pizzas are sticking a tenner a month in. You just go to patreon.com forward slash you call that radio. Gary asks, how's the no smoking thing going? Well, I did well, I did okay, I did, I did the eight days, I think, there. I got a bit, I got to about eight o'clock at night, it's transmit last night and I had to fold. After a few beers, it was a bit chaotic at transmit. You know, it's not really aimed at my age group or anything. So we just ended up, I ended up smoking last night, I had a couple, I had a couple. But I, I'm getting better, I've, I've just kind of been switching, I, I've been kind of quitting every week and then messing up the weekend, so if you don't realise that I do post, try and post daily updates on how I'm doing. And uh, I think I'm, I think I'm getting better at quitting, with the practice of quitting. And I've been trying this week, I've been trying um, some CBD oil from the dispensary, which is the dispensary CBD.com. Also, if you're a you call that radio listener, you can get 15% off by typing in YCT19. Let me just check that actually. But yeah, I've been finding that that's a full spectrum thing. It's um, I've tried CBD oil before, but this is really strong. And you can feel it. You can actually feel it. Like, I mean, I, I wouldn't say. Sorry, sorry. The, the code is YCT. Sorry, YCT one five. So YCT one five, fifteen percent off on the dispensary CBD.com. So they sent me out a bottle to try it out. Just, uh, I've been having, I've been having back injuries. It's been quite a stressful time, lots of lots of death recently, lots of people being hospitalised, just generally been a quite a stressful time, you know, various doing lots of gigs, getting the show off the ground, and uh, it's been quite a stressful time. And you know, you just that, that there's this sort of demon in your shoulder that makes you when you're stressed out want to have a cigarette. So I've just been trying to chuck it and I thought I'd give the CBD oil a chance just because I've not been really sleeping well because of the sore back and, and yeah. And it's been working a treat, to be honest. It's, worked, it's been helping relax me, definitely. Maybe a bit too relaxed. I would say this stuff's maybe a bit too strong for people that are trying to take it for anxiety because it does, I do feel like I'm getting a wee bit stoned off it. <laughs> it's, it's, just, it's not a bad thing, it's quite pleasant. Do you know what I mean? It is, it's not a bad thing, but... There's a lot of a lot of what I do is is the cortisol in your brain, which is a kind of stress thing that does actually make you get things done. You know, sometimes you may see me and you think I'm stressed out if I'm running a organising a show or something, but I'm not actually stressed out. I'm just making sure everything's done. And if you take your eye off the ball, then things go wrong. So you're just usually running about. 
but yeah, this is it's really good. I mean, I don't know if it's just maybe because I'm not used to it. It's, it's really strong stuff. So I don't know if maybe I just need to keep taking it until it doesn't affect me quite as much. But it's been really relaxing me and it's been really good. But maybe it relaxed me a little bit too much. So I've not been as productive. Or maybe that's all in my head because, you know, I, I do. I do, um, uh, yeah. But it's, uh, check it out. If, if you're into CBD oil stuff, then you're a, as a, you call that radio listener, you will get 15% off. And I'll keep you up to date. So I'm in day four or day five of that. Of, of taking that and it, it's definitely helped it's been great it's been really good feel calmer having a better sleep not as bothered about smoking around when people other people around me are smoking but I did I did fuck up a transmit after I had a few beers but I mean transmit you need to smoke or at least be off it for a, a bit a good bit longer anyway I think hold on I think we'll, we'll do one more question I know I'm japping on again so Chris Renfrew who says uh, if the, should there be a Scottish superhero movie and what would his or her powers be oh that's a good question that is a good question uh, I don't know first thing comes to my head is Bam Man Bam Man I suppose they did that with Bam Bam Bigelow I don't know I think it'd be uh, what would his superpowers be I think a Scottish superhero the probably the, the most popular one would maybe be like I don't know Independence man. Well, actually, wouldn't be popular. Probably about fifty-fifty. Only fifty percent of the people would like Independence Man. Uh, the other fifty percent wouldn't. I don't know. Can I think about that? Because I, I like. See, this is why I'm not very good at freestyle rapping. It, so answer questions freestyle is because I actually want to really think about that and give you a proper answer. So um, shout out to Chris. He's actually doing a big wrestling quiz uh, the end of August next month at the Icebox. Which I went on Thursday and Friday. I went on Thursday to Facebox for their first ever comedy night, uh, Funbox it was called. The wee man done a secret surprise headline set. Shouts to, to Callum for organising that. We went out, no booze, no fags, had a great night. And the same again on Friday, we went at the stand, no booze, no smokes. And that was the CBD oil that I think definitely helped with that, the socialising without needing to smoke or drink or anything. Yeah, it was, I, felt, I felt good, and, and all the comedians were great. So, yeah, the Icebox, shout out to the Icebox. Which I'm going to shut up now and put you on to the main event, who is Darren Wilkie McGarvey, Orwell Prize winner, 20 albums under his belt, battle rapper, spoken murder, poet, activist, yeah, all the good stuff. He's been, it's what a year he's had, he's been on Russell Brand's podcast, he's been on Newsnight, Question Time, He's fair getting a boot. He's been in, you know, he's been in conversation with Akala. Uh, the list goes on and on with him. And yeah, he's done very well for himself. So let's just hear from him, the man himself. And you'll get an example of, I think I think this interview, if I remember right, he starts with Dan going, how are you? And then me just going in a rant about how I'd, I had to go to Paisley for Kilburn and then come back. Nobody actually gives a fuck. Nobody actually gives a fuck about that. But that, here we go. This is Darren Loki McGarvey on You Call That Radio. You call that radio? No. You call that radio. You can actually call that radio on a phone number. It's a real thing. You just phone. You call that radio on... 07340... 
Darren Lokey McGarvey and a sunny Kelbom garden party. How you doing? I'm very well, thanks, Mark. How are you? I'm I'm good, mate. I'm really good. I'm enjoying it. I'm enjo- I enjoyed the Paisley tent the most. So I was up at the Paisley tent last night and uh, it was a culture shock going from here to judge a poetry slam. Three hours of poetry. Can you imagine? Aye, uh, I can't imagine. <laughs> it, just, it just stretches to the limits of my imagination, but I, I, can, I can imagine it. It sounds nightmarish, man. How did it go? Well, it was it was it ended up being absolutely I mean it ended up being really a good night, but it was like the first couple of poems because like the poets were quite nervous. First couple of poems I was thinking, how can I get out? I was like, <laughs> is there a way out? But you can't go out because you're you're on the stage, so it's like you can't even go for a fag or a or the toilet. Aye. You just had to so it was a wee bit. But the poets started get they they lost the nerves and it ended up being a really good night. And I met Sheena who gave me the straight out of Paisley t-shirt to prove that I had been to Paisley. So all I went, I went to Paisley and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. So uh, it was good, man, it's good, but I'm, I'm glad to be back in, in Kelburn and the sun's out and we've got Mr Bose and Conscious and all that coming up, so I'm looking forward to enjoying that. So let's just go, wait, we don't know how long we've got here, so let's just go straight to the, the Fringe show you've got coming out. So, yeah. So like, last, last year you did a Fringe show... And yeah, what's it? How's how's the writing process been different for this year compared to last year? It's been quite similar in the sense that last year I did the show based on the book that was out. This year I'm doing stuff based on the book that's coming out, although the titles don't match up or line up. But a lot of the content ports quite well, and obviously when you're writing a book, that sort of takes over your whole mind. So any other content you're writing's got to somehow tap into that field of thought that you're currently in. So. The same elements will be in the new show. It'll be a mix of music and spoken word and comedy, uh, but it'll be a bit more focused rather than talking about poverty or rather than talking about my own experience of poverty, which is what I'm kind of known for. I'm sort of trying to show a bit of diversity with the subjects I can tackle and talking a wee bit actually what what it's been like, the experience of becoming more socially mobile than I've ever been and kind of observing while I'm sort of like able to kind of whiz around like a fucking possessed pinball, then actually a lot of people that I know are really stuck, you know what I mean? They've got no mobility, and all the government data shows that social mobility's ground to a halt, stagnated, so even if you're working hard, you're playing by the rules. You know, all these myths that are peddled by the, 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 the purveyors of the meritocracy, then actually your, your, your chances of getting somewhere without an extremely tremendous run of luck, are very low. And and I think what I'm trying to drive at with the new show and the new stuff I'm working on is that that distance between the people who have enjoyed success and maybe who have never even experienced poverty and the people who are stuck in it, that big chasm or that big ravine is, is, is I think, part of the reason why society is, seems to be kind of so entangled and in such a place of crisis, you know? Uh, so I just to try and have a laugh with that, be a bit serious with it, uh, and and fucking the writing process always as usual is just like you're just trying to get through it one day at a time. So so like the I noticed like the last show you did you brought a couple of your 
your Loki tunes back. So obviously you've got a, 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 a twenty albums or something there. Yeah, yeah. And that's not even the amount of cameos you've done as well. You're, the, the back catalogue is, is incredible. So would you, are you dipping into? I mean, that's one advantage you've got over a lot of people. Are you dipping into any of that back catalogue and bringing it back? Aye, I think where it's relevant. You know, sometimes I think, oh, this track might work for an opener because it's rowdy or it's up-tempo. But then the fringe crowd is a bit different. So where where I would be where I would be planning a hip-hop show and it would be coming out with a banger that's fast-tempo and people are tuning into the lyrics, sometimes that stuff goes a wee bit over people's seeds at the fringe, especially if they've not seen rap before. It takes them a while to kind of adjust to the frequency. So... Uh, the musical choices are all about servicing the themes and the story of the show. Um, and I think that, that I'll, I've got a couple of new tunes. I've, I mean, I've got a load of new tunes I've been sitting on, including stuff I worked on with Jim Sutherland. I released the title track for the show the other day, Scotland Today, with a video. I've got another one that I had written for a film uh, that never got used. Uh, so, so I'll probably use that. Um, and just try and... What I like today is kind of smuggle the rap into the show, you know, so I like everybody leaving, no necessarily focused on the fact that they've watched a show that's 50% Scottish rap, and that worked quite well last year. Well, I think that's what we've had to do over the years is, like, smuggle hip-hop into other gigs. Like, the, I know that the Burn Supper, the alternative Burn Supper we did, that, I remember, like, smuggling you in with that, and uh, <laughs> Louis as well, and, but the thing is that people are really open-minded, and I think it's like not making them listen to hip hop the whole night, but what you, I think that's a good point you made. This like getting the frequency right. That's why I think it's really it's quite good when rappers start with an acapella when it's not a hip hop crowd because they go all right, okay, that's actually the speed's right and they can hear all the lines and the jokes. And I think that once they have adjusted that this guy's got something to say, then they'll give the beats a chance. And it's really quite weird that you know Scott as being a poet in Scotland, the Scottish accent's actually quite helpful because of the traditions we've got of poetry. But as soon as you put an absolute banger a beat behind, everyone freaks out and doesn't want to listen to it. Aye, I mean, it's 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 because there's so many preconceptions about hip-hop and rap, and there's the cringe factor in Scotland which makes it doubly difficult. So there's a kind of, there's two glass ceilings. There's the sort of, the glass ceiling that you've got to break through, even just making your name in the hip-hop community. The Edinburgh cringe. Aye, and then... And then, and then there's the glass ceiling wider culturally where, like, you know, have you got a verse that you could perform in any context without any music and would it stand up? So the Edinburgh cringe and the Glasgow ceiling, basically. Aye. Yeah. Cool. What, what I always find that quite interesting is that's why I, we'll do a proper podcast when we've actually got time because I think it's quite interesting that your, your, your story seems to come from the, the poverty of Paul, like the, 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 the alcohol of, of your, your mother and the alcohol abuse of your mother and stuff like that. And it just seems like your story just seems to go from that to Orwell Prize winner. And it just seems to cut out, like, tw- 20 years of you Aye. trying to be an artist, which I always... <laughs> that's why I wanted... Next time we'll do it properly, I want to... Because, like, what, how does that feel? I mean, do you, do you feel like that some people just think that, that there was nothing in between? Well, I, I sometimes it can be frustrating because it feels like certain facts about your development or the work that you've put in have been omitted. But actually, strategically, it works quite well because... Often, last year, what I found was everything pretty much that I was doing, the people that I was dealing with didn't really see me coming because they see me as somebody that's just come on the radar, therefore I was just created in a test tube that day. When I actually, an overnight success. Exactly, but when actually you've got 20 years of experience of dealing with audiences, of dealing with media, of dealing with all sorts of different bullshit. So actually, 
you can play the kind of newbie card and then come off looking extremely competent, even if you're not necessarily having the greatest day by your own standards. So actually, I mean, I've just tried to kind of embrace it. It's different, obviously, when you go down south, there's different barriers and there's different perceptions, but it's good, it keeps you on your toes. You know, when you've got the privilege of being able to do that stuff, uh, then then I think it just keeps you more dynamic, more agile, and and uh, and always learning new shit. Really, does is, um, have you have you noticed like an increase in your your listens and your views and your downloads off the back of Poverty Safari? Aye, well, I mean, uh, I, I noticed you now the sort of the organic reach of content I published before I sponsor it or before I boost it is bigger, uh, and obviously you're fighting against a kind of algorithm that's always pushing against you. So you know, it get it get a thousand views on a YouTube video, and a thousand or so on Facebook, you know, separately in the space of twenty four hours is it's pretty good going before you're actually actively pushing it. You're just publishing it and it's just yeah. doing its thing. Uh, so, so that's quite cool. Um, and obviously, the, the I, I'm still always passionate about the music as I've always been, although I don't always get the time to get back to it as much. But uh, no, the new album that I'm working on, the Astronomic has been kind of like overseeing production-wise. Uh, it's, it's pretty much in the final stages. So I, I'm hoping... Like August, September, lots of new content for anybody that's interested. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to the challenge, really, of having to write a book that's as good as the first one. I don't know if you can do a better one than your first thing where you've had a whole life experience poured into it. But something that's as good that also is shows shows a bit of growth. And, uh, and the same with the French show. I mean, this year, really, I'm kind of just up against what i done last year. So... I'm I'm kind of looking forward to the challenge of that and just try to enjoy it. So the, is it important that you've when you've got that buzz just to keep going? Because a lot of people would maybe take a bit of time out, but you just went straight on to another book and straight on to another French show, and obviously the music's still coming out. Aye, and it's you can't obviously have time to to do the music as much. But I know you're always working in the background. I know that obviously um, Astronomy, an amazing producer who's had his own health problems this year, so that this book, but. Well, was it just, just about like Kelburn, I've just seen Josephine Sowers go by in a buggy, and that's a kind of Kelburn, Kelburn thing. Kelburn moment, this. yeah. yeah. And, um, <laughs> you've had a few Kelburn moments, so what does it, this festival mean to you? I love it in the sense that it's pretty mellow, it's pretty chill. People do what they do, but nobody's trying to ram it down your throat. I like the fact that I can bring my kids here and they don't feel, and it doesn't feel like they're in an unsafe place. But I usually find when I'm, uh, unless I'm in the middle of, of, of a relapse or anything like that, then festivals are kind of time limited for me. Yeah. A day, maybe like four or five hours. And then I need to go back and get on with whatever else, my work or whatever. Uh, but it's good to know your limits. No, I, I tried to hit the festival scene when I was drinking. And I just remember waking up in strange places next to strange people, <laughs> you know, and having made a terrible ass of myself uh, the previous nights. So uh, actually, it's quite nice coming and then also just being able to leave when you know it's the right time. Well, I think the... I think probably the best gig I've seen for you musically. Anyway, obviously, I've seen a few of your friend shows and all of them were, were bang on. And it was a different crowd, so it was a different reaction every night, but it was, it was all really well done. But I think it was... I, I loved seeing your, your set at Kilburn last year because it felt like it was just a few days after the Orwell Prize, you were buzzing. Aye. You had a whole new audience who'd never heard of you that came to check you out, and it just it sounded amazing. Shouts to the, the sound crew as well. Aye. It sounded great. But also, so just want to talk a wee bit about that, but then 
as a second question with that is um, we always ask everyone about bad gigs. I was laughing when you went and made an arse of it because I've seen you have some bad gigs. So aye. talk about the good one and then also please um, maybe mention a bad gig or two. Aye, aye. I, I mean, the bad I, I had that. Some of the bad gigs I went in with the intention to turn them bad. And then other gigs, I went in with the intention to experiment and then just turned them bad anyway. <laughs> so, you know, the, the results of my bad gigs range from people being offended to people ending up in fights to riot vans turning up outside venues. Uh, so, obviously, some of that's a bit more acceptable than others. I just found, actually, when I was drinking as much as it might have made me a wee bit more kind of bold to try things, that I was unable to gauge the audience. So sometimes the audience is quite captivated, which you can detect, you can interpret as indifference. So the audience is just tuning in, they're trying to figure out what's going on here. And in your head you're thinking, why is Nick laughing? Or why is Nick responding? So you go after the audience, <laughs> which is not necessarily a career winning strategy. Um, now sometimes it's all right to do that, depending on how many people there know you and don't know you. But when you actually just go after the whole audience, yeah. And you sort of you, you you blame them because you're only getting a response. It's quite arrogant. It's quite stupid. It's quite petulant. But it's all part of the experience of learning how to perform better. I, I mean, I would agree with that as well. Like, uh, you know, I, I've I've got a gig tonight, so I've got to stay sober for it because it's, it's it's exactly what you say that it's it's um, whether you can do it or not. I know some people can get away with it drunk, and I can probably get away with it, but. It's just the, the, the self-awareness of what the audience is feeling. You can just totally get them wrong. You can make a flippant joke. It's delivery. I think it's all about delivery, because you can say you can say anything you want, but if you deliver it right with a wry smile, then the audience is going to find that Aye. funny. Aye. But if you say it with a... If, you, if you're wasted and you say it, people just think you're an arsehole. Aye. Aye, I think just being sober, or at least not being inebriated, not being knackered from no pacing yourself, then all these things contribute to you really just having your wits about you and that's what you need because obviously you're feeding on the energy of an audience so you've got to be able to read that appropriately to know where is the line, how far can you cross it, when do you need to retreat, when do you throw them a bone and so if you're drunk or, or you're overly knackered or whatever, I mean I found last year I was knackered because I had been so busy but because I wasn't drunk, even when I went up to day my set then I still was able to bring the right energy to it. I was able to kind of, at certain points, be aggressive, have a laugh. And actually, I really enjoyed it last year because that was the first time really I'd kind of road tested all these new tracks I've been working on. And the place just filled up. I was on after uh, I was on after Physics and Gasp as well, and they had really warmed the crowd up very nicely. Um, so I, I, I really enjoyed it. For me, that's the sort of ideal crowd, you know, at that time of night. The pyramid stage is my favourite stage, and it's not just because it's the closest to the exit, <laughs> but it just, I like the festival when I feel close to people. The more isolated it gets up at the monument and that, sometimes it sometimes feels to me like a wee bit of a kind of drinking den or something. I know it's no, but see, like, when you're far away for the main kind of thrust of the action, I don't know, sometimes I don't feel as comfortable. I like to know things are around and, and it feels lively now. I feel a bit more safe and secure, so I can always perform better in these circumstances. Yeah. And um, I mean, I think I'd actually, it was good to see you do all the new songs, but I think you, you should somehow fit it into your, I know you do your, your I think it's became a, you know, a staple, you're doing an annual, every year you're doing a, a show at, at different places, so you should definitely keep that going, because I think people want to see that, but I think you should, if you can, try and sneak in a, a Loki's Greatest Hits set at some point, because there's just some absolute cracking tunes, 
I know you said before you don't feel comfortable doing a lot of the tunes because you were in a different place. Aye. And I suppose the hip-hop is so personal, but is it some something that you would consider doing? Well, I think actually, you know, for the new audience, it's been about kind of um, cultivating a taste in them where they want more of the hip-hop. So you start with the acapellas, the shows, and then you can start teasing in music. Because, I mean, the French show last year had, like, four or five songs in it. Um, this year, I think, as well as the kind of Glasgow show, I think I'll do a tour in December. At least that's what the plan is. So I know we've got Dundee, and we've got Edinburgh, and we've got Aberdeen, and we've got Glasgow. So um, I'm not sure. I'll have to see, I'll have to see what I get hurt for by the tax man and all that. Because uh, well, <laughs> that's been a big shock. Uh, you know, like, because I keep... I, I, I was emphasising doing charity gigs and raising money for charity and all that. Um, so it would be good to still tie it into a cause. Um, but I can't say for sure yet how many of them will be. Probably yeah. still the Glasgow one. Just just give, give a lot of the profits to a, a charity or whatever. But I don't actually think that's the only reason people were coming out. No. I think they were coming out for a celebration, that last show before Christmas. And uh, I so it would be good maybe to split it into two, you know, and uh, you know start day the show for the first half, and then I can do a couple of tunes, get a few other people up to do some tunes, and maybe just make it a bit of a longer night. Yeah, brilliant man. So the the fringe show is called Scotland Today. Was there another bit to and stuff about becoming middle class? About, let's talk about that then. So. Cool. You said social mobility, and I remember from the show last year you said it's not social mobility, social immobility. Aye. And you're lit- but you're literally being mobile as and you're always in a train. Aye, aye. Fighting against the train. So, aye. So what's the difference? Um, I mean, obviously, you're, I suppose that with money, it's supposed to come less pressure, but yeah. you're under so many deadlines and stuff that you must be under pressure as well. Aye, aye, exactly. And that, that's part of what I'm kind of exploring with the book and the show is, you know, when you've never had any money before, and then suddenly it just seems like it's coming from everywhere. You've got no sense of value attached to it. So the first thing that I do is try to make other people around me more comfortable. Do you know what I mean? Like family members, friends that are struggling, blah, 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 blah. But then what happens is your income is at peaks and troughs. So what you actually find is you're in the same financial insecurity you were always in, except the scale, the, 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 the scale of everything is bigger. So if you don't make money, more people don't get what they need and blah, blah, blah. So it's like been a learning process of actually learning that I need to get I need to get beyond the fixation on financial insecurity and, and, and not being stressed. But the, so, the social mobility aspect is, my social mobility comes not necessarily just from my own hard work or talent or whatever. I mean, there's a combination of circumstances. Like when my book came out, for example, the publisher who was supposed to publish it reneged on an agreement to publish it, and then the year that the 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 week that my book got published by another publisher, the previous publisher went into liquidation, and all their authors never got paid, and all the books never got published. So that was circumstances. I can't say that that's today with merit. You know, you make your own luck, but then, you know, a big well-known author's got behind the book. Yeah. That was partly circumstance as well, you know. I, I I never necessarily created that. I had a publicist who, despite me not thinking there was any point, submitted the book to the Orwell Prize. Yeah. Uh, got me on Radio Four, which kind of just tipped the scales. And so all these things, like all I did really was write the book. I'm not I'm not trying to be falsely humble. I'm just saying I wrote the book, but there were so many other things going on around me that people done to help, as well as all the support I've had through the years, through friends and family and all sorts of chances I've been given. So 
you know, this idea that once you become successful, you just get to take all the credit for it. It doesn't really actually make sense in reality, but I think for people like Boris Johnson or Michael Gove, who are at the upper tier of society, they genuinely have a kind of almost religious commitment to this falsehood of meritocracy. And actually, when you see the, all the circumstances of privilege that they were born into, it's not to say they don't work hard, but at the same time, man, they've less distance to travel to get to the top, they're carrying less baggage, so they naturally have certain degrees of mobility that a lot of other people don't. And, and you know, it's been quite illuminating this last year, observing, almost, see, when you go to an airport, you can wait in the queue, or if you can afford it, you get a priority pass, right? You can go and sit in the lounge. Basically, you can experience the airport at another level that's stress-free, frictionless travel, if you've got the money. For everybody else, it's the uncomfortable seats that are designed to keep you going into WH Smith. And, and you know, you learn a lot about social mobility, just travelling and finding the different options that are available the minute you've got a wee bit more money or the minute that people start laying on things for you, booking you first-class tickets and all that, you're like, hang on. I can understand now why a lot of people who have never experienced poverty have got so many dangerously obtuse ideas about it because they're getting their information through papers and TV and they believe that their success is because of their own hard work and suddenly you're like, ah, right, okay, well, the society I'm in, as much as it's difficult, it starts to make a bit more sense because you're like, that's how they people don't know what they're talking about and you start to understand the extent to which they don't know what yeah. they're talking about. And I, th- I think that's, that's a bang on, because I mean, a lot of people that are successful, there's no doubt they're working hard. Aye. So they're saying to themselves, well, I'm, I'm, I'm working really, really hard, so I deserve what I've got, but they've never understood that if they if they start a business and it tanks, then someone's going to help them out and they'll just start another business Aye. until they eventually get something that works for them. And it's you you took a big, massive leap when you did the crowdfunder. You know, that... that that to me is why I've never done a crowdfunder because I was just terrified that uh, I, I've advised other people to do it, but I just I just terrified that no one would would actually do. It. That's why I, I think anyway, probably it's probably partly inspired by you. I did the Patreon for the podcast, aye, aye. just asking for a couple of quid a month, and I think we've got about thirty four people. That's really good and, as well because you've only done what four. You've only done like four or five yeah, podcasts uh, so far. Aye, uh, this will be number six, I think. Uh, so a lot of good faith there. Yeah. So and it's not obviously it's only it's not it's not it's absolute pennies at the moment, but. It's just the idea that there's people out there willing to take a punt. And that was before they'd even really heard any of the content or anything like that. But th- that's why I think it was you took, that was the biggest risk you took, was that doing the crowdfunder. Aye. And, it, and that, so if that hadn't, if that backfired and hadn't went well, you, you would you'd be fucked right. Aye, exactly. I mean, it would, it would not only have been no raising the money to allow myself the time to write the book, but it would have been a very public kind of rejection. Yeah. You know, that would have probably been more damage for me and my self-esteem than my broader career and all that. I would have found another avenue, maybe not to the extent that I have with the the success of things, but I would still be working, I would still be getting work, I would still be doing what I'm doing. Um, But there is an element, and that's why I always say, whatever your circumstances are, there is a degree to which you can exercise a bit of self-will or a bit of choice, even if your choices are quite narrow. You know, everything, you know, for people like us trying to generate interest in our work, taking a risk now and again, or even people struggling in recovery, you know, they might not have a lot of options in terms of where they live or the benefits or getting a job, but they might be able to, you know, decide to phone a sponsor on a day that they think they're going to relapse rather than relapsing. And, and so there's always a degree of flexibility somewhere within your narrow field of vision to try and do something to better your situation, to generate momentum, you grow in confidence, 
and then the better that you do, the more momentum that you get, you become uh, less risk averse. And that's how you see, you know, at the very top of society, people can kind of, people can just realise their dreams by transferring stocks, do you know what I mean? By making a phone call. Their whole sense of risk is completely different. When you're at the bottom, you're in quicksand. When you're in quicksand, the whole key to surviving is to stay exactly where you are and don't move a fucking muscle. All your strength is used just to keep your head above the sand. So your idea of risk doing at that point in society is completely different. When you get people up the top telling the people in the quicksand, start a business, you know, become an entrepreneur, do what I've done, then, you know, not only are they broadcasting their ignorance, but they're showing a complete lack of understanding about the forces that shape life a bit yeah. further down the food chain where people don't have anything to conserve. So how can they be conservative? You know, yeah. it needs to begin with having something to conserve, doesn't it? Well, it's actually one of my friends, I wouldn't name her, but she she's a fan of yours, but she... Um, she, the thing that she had a problem with was you talking about the stress of poverty. And I tried to explain what you were... She still doesn't get it, or she, well, she didn't get it that night when I was explaining it. Because she's like, obviously, she suffers from stress as well, and she's from a privileged background. Aye. And I think what she's, what she's forgetting is that, yeah, you, of course you're going to get stressed and you're going to have bad days, and everyone has um, all sorts of mental health issues at every level. But the fact is, is that... You, there's people out there right now who are actually think, thinking about how am I going to get dinner tonight? How am I going to get fed tonight? How am I going to get the wains to school tomorrow? And this is a whole new level of stress when you don't have, actually have time to worry about, you know, anything else. Exactly. And also, when you grow up in a community that's not regarded as privileged, then a lot of the behaviour... You know, if somebody grows up in a middle-class community, they're having a certain kind of behaviour modelled to them constantly. Um they're always sort of seeing examples of how to do certain things, how to think, how to behave in certain ways. Like when I was in London recently, I was walking past this bike shop and a guy was just coming out with a bike, but he looked like he'd literally just decided I'm going to become a cyclist because he had all his normal clothes on, his work clothes. And, and he just must have thought, you know what, I'm going to get a bike and I've just got to cycle him. Now, his decision to do that is based on a number of factors, right? First of all, he's got the economic freedom to make that decision. There's not a big complicated process. I'll need to get a higher purchase. I'll need to pay it up. Oh, I can't do it. I'll need to save up. He just goes and does it. But then also, he's probably got friends and family in his community who are cyclists, and he's been watching them and thinking, you know, they're fitter than me. They're spending less money than me. They're not subjected to travel, public transportation system. And that gets the thought percolating in his mind about where to go. And so, you know, when you grow up further down the food chain, you're having certain things modelled to you good and bad, but also you don't have that economic freedom to just think about something and then manifest it straight away. And then also the stress, the stress further down the food chain is more acute and constant. So it's more, more chronic. It's not just a wee bout of stress that forces you into action. It becomes your default setting. So this inhibits your decision-making faculties. It changes how your body stores fat. It has a hormonal, psychological, emotional impact on people around you. It makes you isolate sometimes for social connections that you need to feel well and secure. So there's all sorts of, you know, scientific and social and political reasons why people further down the food chain experience the sort of stress that can not just be inhibiting for life chances, but sometimes can send people's lives into a tailspin because they don't have the resources to absorb the adversity of life. Yeah, I think some people don't realise how expensive it is being poor. Everything from top-up electric meters that cost more than normal. Aye. The fact that you can't buy things in bulk because you've not got enough money to, to buy things in bulk, which would, which would save you money. 
things like bank charges, you know, I know people that have 120 quid worth of bank chances a month. Aye. Just comes out their, their salary and their skin, and straight away that just comes out every month. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, that's absolutely right. That, that, that's that's referred to commonly as a poverty premium. But really, that's one of the terms just like social mobility, which is a bit kind of impenetrable and doesn't really tell you a lot about what's going on. The poverty premium really is the kind of, is the, the, the phenomenon where big companies farm poor communities because poverty is very lucrative. And they do this in a number of ways, you know, whether it's predatory advertising, whether it's disingenuous advertising. I mean, how many bottles of sugary water do you see that have got words like smart on them? Or words like honest on them, and and it's like you feel like you're drinking honesty. Do you know what I mean? And they and they, you know, they, these companies understand the human psyche, the drive, human impulse a lot more than the government understands it. I mean, they draw from a, a, a well of knowledge about human DNA and how we think and behave and relate to each other, how we see ourselves, and then they use it all just to try and drive us towards a purchase. Now, obviously, you can exercise a certain degree of freedom and teach yourself about how that's used against you and then mitigate it. But no, most people haven't got time to do that. Most people are just kind of in the rat race and they're just kind of, like, moving towards the next thing. So, you, you know, that the, the poverty... The, p- people who have the less pay the most and, and that means there's a portion of their income just getting by, buying milk and bread and toilet roll and all these things everybody needs... Uh, it just eats into the income even more, and, that, and then you get on utilities and council tax, and even the people that pay higher council tax, they've got more income, so as a proportion of their outgoings, it's less. It takes more effort to pay council tax further down the food chain. And, uh, you know, some people, I think, they actually get a bit offended when you're impl- it seems like you're implying that middle-class people have it easy. Certainly no. I mean, the stress levels for people who go to boarding school or people who run businesses are very, very high and sometimes can pull people under. But on the whole, people's social connections are strong. They live in communities that are built to last. And so through that combination of strong social networks, resilience and economic freedom to absorb adversity, then it means that when adversity does hit, it doesn't necessarily pull them down in the quicksand, you know? Yeah, that's right. It's definitely... You can see it in the arts when I when I first started my band and uh, we get called Baffling Nedbunk because we've ran with because it's the best description of what we do, Baffling Nedbunk. But I'm from a scheme, but I'm not a Ned. Well, I wouldn't consider myself a Ned for a scheme, Aye. but to a different world, I, I was a Ned. I was trying to help ourselves by calling ourselves gyro babies and being drunk, but at the time, but uh, I, it's, when, you, when you go in, you, like, I think it's getting a wee bit better now. I mean, I don't obviously, it's, things are different for me because obviously I've built connections in the scene. And then, but I, I think that now I can also feel like having a working class voice and a poetry slam is not necessarily a bad thing these days. I think once you get confident enough and you know your brief and you know what your aim is, every gig you set out, the short term, medium term, long term aims, then you can use any disadvantage and flip it into an asset. Um, because having that self awareness to know what you're up against, to know how you're being perceived, regardless of your own attempt to explain very detailed way what you actually are, where you actually come from. I did a show for Radio Scotland years ago called NEDS, and part of the investigation was to try and understand who actually identifies himself as a NED. And it was one of the first big insights I got in general, which was no one thinks they're the NED. Every, there was only one person out of the hundreds of young people that I approached who actually said, 
I'm a Ned. <laughs> and I was like, that wine is like some a fucking dick. But actually, the Ned is something that's like almost like a myth. It's it, Even if you talk to people that you think are Neds, they think somebody else is the Ned. Yeah. And, and it's, just, it's, it's quite fascinating when you think that must be the same for a lot of other labels that are out there, whether it's middle class, whether it's centrist dad. A lot of people... They don't see themselves as the thing everybody else regards them as, you know? So, yeah, well, I wonder how many people self-identify as a hipster. And obviously it's quite, it's changed these days because, obviously, I'll have a craft beer now and a nice coffee. And, I mean, five years ago I was slagging that. Aye. So, and, so you get so... So I don't know if anyone's caught, describes themselves as a hipster, but also I just remember that time you said, maybe no one talks in that West End accent or just that class, you know, it's all just a joke. I maybe the accent doesn't exist every time you hear it maybe it's somebody doing an impersonation <laughs> of what they think a hipster sounds like that would be mind blowing if it was because I don't really think any the people that talk like that nye, 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 I don't think they actually realise that they talk like that and I, I think it's the same even when I'm making an effort to be kind of like you know have this sort of BBC received pronunciation being aware that you're talking to people in England or you're talking to people from middle class backgrounds slowing down the speech enunciating, I still sound what in class. Yeah. I mean, I can't actually get away from it, even when I speak politely. Yeah. And even when I have a command of language that's as good as anybody that I'm dealing with, at the end of the day, there's a certain kind of tone to my voice that I can't conceal even if I wanted to. So it's just always broadcasting something about me that people can interpret however they like. And I think that's the same for everybody. So, is it, what, what's been your actual? Obviously, you've, um, you've met some famous people over the last year or two. I remember at the Fringe show, like bumping into Lemmy and stuff. I was like, I was actually, I'm kind of used to meeting musicians now. Aye. So, like, I don't get starstruck. But I was seeing Lemmy, I was like, there's Lemmy. No, I mean, yeah. you, you've met lots of famous people. I was just going back to more of the, the sort of hip hop because I know you've been talking about Cal and stuff. I mean, how, how are these people reacting to your music? Well, what's been cool is a lot of the people that I meet. Uh, some of them are kind of aware of my work which is nice but actually by and large most of the people that I've met regardless of how successful they are they're quite down to earth they're quite centred they were very easy to talk to you know as easy to talk to as anybody else um, you know obviously there's a couple of people that you you, you meet in, in but the thing is even if you meet somebody and they maybe seem like a buy a dick you have more insight into why they might be having a bad day because through this journey I've been on, I start to get a sense of the things that stress you out. And it's things that if you were to sit in a fucking food bank or you were in a public meeting in a scheme and you were to moan about them, you would be embarrassing yourself well, talking about it. I've seen aye, you do that. <laughs> aye. You would embarrass yourself. Do you know what I mean? But at the same time, you, you, you adjust and different things become stressful. So even if you meet somebody that's successful and they're a bit kind of standoffish or they seem like they're being a bit of a dick, then it might be any number of things that's went on that day. But I've been dead lucky. I mean, all the people that I've met, uh, you know, whether it's well-known kind of radio, TV presenters, whether people like Lemmy, Russell Brand, um, you know, Irvin Welsh and all that, just dead, dead supportive, dead, dead helpful. Even sometimes shoot you a wee message if they get a sense you're having a bad day and, and they can talk for a place of experience of what it is you're going through, dealing with lots of stress, dealing with lots of people, um, and, and actually you, you find actually it becomes quite helpful in no a few day people to run certain things past that you maybe couldn't run past you know one of your mates I was actually going to when Russell Brand I think he put up a status saying have you got any questions for or Darren or but announced that you were going to go on the Russell Brand podcast I was like 
I really wanted to ask, but I didn't do it because you know, you've got a song obviously where it says Russell, Russell Brand, we lost an overdose. Aye, aye. Did that come up at all? No, I didn't actually because I, 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 I couldn't even. I, it was when you said that I remembered it, aye. and I was like, that's mental, man. So many of the things that I've talked about have kind of manifested in some way, in a strange way that you wouldn't have thought. Um, when I met him, he was brand new. He uh, he was very tired the day that I met him. And he didn't have to do the podcast, you know. He talks to the big heavy hitters, man, global names. So I think the fact that that his team and him responded to the the big push for my audience to get me on there, uh, shout out to everybody that supported it, it says a lot about him, where he's thinking not just about his views and who's going to watch his show, but also he's thinking, well, if that many people are saying this guy's worth talking to, maybe he is. And he was great, you know, and he came in, he invited my photographer in, shout out to Stephen Reynolds. We had a good tour chat, um, and then we, Becky and I went to his show the next night, got his tickets, and every now and then, you know what I mean, he'll sing us a wee text message or whatever. He's, he's a very generous spirit. What you see is what you get with him when he's doing all these videos about meditating, about trying to grow as a person immensely inspiring he lives by the shit it's not an image for him obviously he's a bit vain like anybody he likes his hair he likes his nice clothes he likes to have nice shit but he's the sort of person he's around so-called normal people all the time in recovery he's always exposed to the reality of life so he can't become too cocooned and you can feel that off him he has a certain energy a quality when you're talking he's really engaged in what you're saying and, uh, and, and you know, of all the people that I met, I would say he's had the biggest journey because he was super, super, duper famous. And he still is famous, but he's withdrawn from the public eye a bit because, obviously, he realised it's no healthy for him. And so he's a good person to watch, you know, whatever stage you're at, no matter what game you're in, because he's transcended a lot of difficulties in his life, whether it's heroin, whether it's, you know, public scrutiny, all these things. And, and, you know, I just found him to be dead down to earth and easy to talk to. Yeah. And Becky Wallace is actually here, just speaking <laughs> the devil. So did you, did you meet Russell Brand then? I wasn't allowed to talk to him, because Dan thought I might have passed him. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's probably right though, isn't it? Yeah, I'm a pure fangirl doubt, actually, for the first time in a long time, yeah. man. Yeah, Dan has taken me to some quite nice places for that. It's, it's a massive journey. He's been on, because I remember him, like, just being like a... I wasted, was it MTV he was on or something? Aye. It was just like a mad guy doing that and then did the Big Brother thing. Then became like a ho- Hollywood famous. Aye. Actual Hollywood famous. And then he started talking about Ed Miliband and then, 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 had, then had to sort of run away from Aye. him. The embarrassment for him, I think, man. Yeah. Aye, he, got, he got a bit of a backlash for that. Aye, it's a shame. Because I, th- I think obviously he got, he said don't vote, what's the, what's the point? And then everyone destroyed him for that. And then he went, oh, actually vote. For Labour, then everyone just destroyed them for that as well. And it's it's tough. I mean, I mean, obviously, when you're you're in, in the vault, the politics thing. Obviously, you you were um, during independence, you were um, probably the biggest working class voice of the the yes movement. And then you could have actually not for the first time I seen you ruin your career because <laughs> you actually had a good thing going, but then you started being very sceptical and critical of the SNP mainly, not so much the independence movement, Aye. but the SNP. And obviously, a lot of, there was a massive backlash to that. Could you just tell us about that briefly? Aye, aye. Well, actually, I remember in 2014, 2015, among some of the things I was saying was National Collective were actually part of the SNP, so it wasn't an independent thing. So really, that, for me, showed that 
the SNP were willing to try and control or influence artists in a political way, and I thought that was shite. And then that turned out to be true. And then in 2015, I remember saying, and a few other people saying the same thing, the SNP are going to capture the working class vote and then they're going to pivot and then they're going to capture the middle class vote and then we're going to be dealing with essentially a kind of new Labour project in Scotland. And that maybe speaks to what we should be sceptical about with independence, if it's all about being open for business uh, in the usual manner. And so that turned out to be true. And actually, one of the other things I said very early on was you need to get out and talk to no voters and understand the moral world they're coming for. There are very legitimate political and ethical arguments for remaining in the union. We have to get better at listening and talking and having dialogue about these things. And ever since getting shouted down about that, then that's actually what the whole SNP strategy is now. So the whole SNP strategy is a constant charm offensive for no voters. And a lot of the commentators who would dismiss what we were saying back then have all changed their tune and they're all about being respectful and they're all about being open and they're all about listening to no voters and this is the constant message that's getting reiterated. So I think some of in the Yes movement, and obviously there's a lot of predictions of oh, is making it's a lot of shite or takes that we have, having a bad day and it turns out bullshit and I've behaved like a cunt sometimes and I've said nasty things about people. Um, but at the same time, I think a lot is on the left paid a bit of a price early on for being a wee bit ahead of the curve seeing what the SNP actually were, what political trajectory they were taking and the implications that this would have for a yes movement that largely bought into the idea that independence was about social justice rather than about signalling to Europe and NATO and America that we're open for business and that being open for business undermines the cause for social justice in a lot of ways unless it's, it's obviously kind of regulated in a certain way. So I, I feel actually the people that matter in the yes movement or the people that I respect in the Yes movement, I think they respect what I've got to say on the issue, and I just play my position. I mean, I'm waiting to see what kind of way it's panning out, but I'm always open about my support for independence. You know, and when I do any of the big TV shows, I always recognise <coughs> that if there's an SNP person on it and a couple of Tories, then I know what side <laughs> I'm on regardless. Uh, so, you know, at the same time, I think when the push comes to shove, I'm there on the front line. It's just that... I don't, I don't buy into this idea that Scotland's an oppressed nation. I don't buy into this idea that the SNP have an exclusive monopoly on social justice. And I don't buy into this idea that just because we voted yes, that makes us morally superior people because there's a lot of bams in the yes movement and I'm one of them. <laughs> yeah, I think that was um, when you did the BBC Newsnight. I think I changed a few people's opinion on you because when um, yeah, when, it, when you were asked straight out, you were... You were Pro independence, and I, I, don't, I can't remember who else was on it, but I think it was an SNP person. But you, you definitely gave the best argument for independence at the time. And uh, aye, that 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 seemed, I, I just few folk that I know were critical of you that were like fair play to him. I think obviously social media can create. You can end up creating a certain image in the minds of some people and all that. You can't really get involved in it. But when you do the big, uh, I, I see the big TV appearances as a chance to kind of make my values a bit more visible. You know, day to day, your mood might change or your opinions might change. But when you're on a, when you're doing a big kind of national broadcast like that, you're you're aware of the fact that how many people are watching, and that you need to be very clear about what your stand is on certain things. And uh, and so I I can understand why people would uh, would have maybe thought twice watching that because that was my whole strategy going into it, which was I'm going to be dead clear about what I believe and what I'm fighting for. 
and, and no really fanning about. You know, there's a time to kind of navel gaze and debate and chat, and then there's a time to say, these are my values, this is what I'm all about, here's what I'm for. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, I suppose you're, you're coming out with things that you're, you're sure about while on social media, you're just throw, you're just tossing ideas and I've seen you say things. Get absolutely destroyed the conversation going, actually, no, I maybe got, I didn't get that one wrong. Aye, I, aye. I maybe got that wrong. And, uh, no, no, that's what I've said to you before, I'm like, this, you see stuff that I don't agree with, but that, that became a, I don't agree with everything he says, but, aye, aye. but it's pretty true, I don't agree with everything you say. I, I don't agree with the, the minimum alcohol price. And what's funny with that is, aye. we can't even have a real debate about it because you don't drink in a day. <laughs> so it's like, you can just call me a cake, <laughs> And I can say, well, you don't drink, so, and then you've got, you can afford this. The reason I'm against it is just because I think that anything that, everything just gets always, that, that, the politician's greatest answer to everything is, let's make that more expensive, and I think it's just unfair on other people. But I, 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 I would like to be proved wrong on it. I don't think you would. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but no, I. I think that there's ways, ways to mitigate that strain on working class incomes. Yeah. And uh, if the government were a wee bit, le- uh, were, were a wee bit less cautious uh, about upsetting middle class voters, then there are, certain, there are certain things that they could do in areas like housing or in areas like welfare, uh, right across the spectrum, uh, you know, living wage things of that nature that would actually bring working class incomes up. So, you know, I don't necessarily think... I think that there should be a financial cost correlated to the social cost of certain lifestyle choices. Um, I, I think that's the only sensible way in a free market economy to make sure that you're guarding against all the health problems associated with consumerism. I mean, look at all the issues that we face as a society. All the government machinery is currently used to try and mop up the mess left by giving corporations a blank cheque to put whatever they want in food, to do whatever they want to the environment, to do whatever they want to the internet. And all these things are kind of converging as the sort of multiple crises that's taken up so much of the government's energy. When actually it would be good maybe before we give them a blank cheque to do a risk assessment the same way we did if we were getting a company to build a building, a construction company or whatever. So I completely concede the argument that working class people through minimum unit pricing seem like they're being targeted. Um, I just don't necessarily think the solution is to get, let's get our two pound bottles of Frosty Jack back. I don't necessarily think that's a good idea. Um, there are other ways to generate <laughs> income as well, you know what I mean? Like, uh, well, well the, just to say, I mean, I actually quite like the, the, the weird dystopia that we live in, that Prosecco's more expensive than Frosty Jack's now. I think that's quite, something quite interesting about that. And obviously, I, from experience, Frosty Jack's done so much damage. I'm, I've got so many people I know that had Frosty Jack issues, and, and I, I, I get that there's something that needs to be done with it. The problem I've got is all this money, this extra money, it, it just seems to disappear though into a pot. Do you know what I mean? That, that's why I don't Aye. necessarily agree. You know what I mean? No, no, I agree. I, I think you know the extra money goes to uh, uh, in the pockets of the people that are selling alcohol. So that's a that that needs to be modified. But generally, uh, I don't see unless you're having a kind of radical reform of the entire economy. Then currently, the government only has certain levers and mechanisms it can use to try and regiment attitudes and behaviour towards certain things. And I'm looking forward really to see over the 10 year period how things go. Depending on what your position is, you'll go looking for evidence to support it. 
but see if in 10 years time there's been no big change then I'll, I'll be happy I'll be the first person writing in saying I was wrong about that Mark was right <laughs> in fact that's what I was saying Mark was right about that um, but but you know the, the, the legislation itself has got a sunset clause on it so the government's openly saying after 10 years when this is assessed if the government that's in power don't want to actually yeah. renew it then it just falls out the statute book and it doesn't it doesn't continue Aye, in 10 years, right, in 10 years, you can do anything with statistics so they can say, well, they'll find something that keep it. They're not going to just make things cheaper again. That'll never, that's not a politician thing to do. So I'm sceptical of 10 years. 10 years, 10 years, right, OK, we'll go, come back in 10 years to that one. OK. Let's end it with some hip-hop. Let's right. end it with some hip-hop, because we're always talking about politics and stuff. So hip-hop's what, what started your whole journey, really. Yep. And uh, what kind of hip-hop are you enjoying the now? Wow, good question. Um, what's on my playlist now? Actually, I've been listening to... Where is my phone? Hang on. I'll tell you. I've got kind of tried and tested things that I listen to that I know are going to do the job for me if I'm running or something. And then now and again, I'll have a wee, uh, a wee foray into something else. I've been very fortunate to be getting to listen to some astronomics stuff that he's oh, working on for his album. Yeah, he's coming with a whole new sound. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think, and I've said this to him, and it's no, not to put pressure on him or to overhype his shit, but what he's working on, I think we're in a perfect cultural moment for an artist like him to emerge yeah. and really just leapfrog a lot of what's going on and really cash in a lot of those chips that he's got from being a studio rat and actually just working on his shit for so yeah. long. He's got it right down to the fucking hi-hat, do you know what I mean? Like, in terms of mixing, mastering, emceeing, lyricism, production, he does the whole thing. And the stuff that he's working on doesn't sound like anything I've heard. And I listen to a lot of different types of music. And so really, like, I can see also a lot of people in the community just wanting to get behind him, because he's not in anybody's way. He's no one of these figures that divides opinion. Most people are just like, ah, good cunt, does good shit, let's all get behind him. And I think it would be good to see an and, artist... And they, and they can also do a diss track if you don't like him. Though. Oh, exactly. <laughs> He's game. Do you know what I mean? He's game. Uh, what have I been listening to? I've got your old Droog in there. Obviously, a bit of MF Doom. Uh, Freddie Gibbs and Madlib new album is shit hot. Uh, I've been getting back into some UK stuff that I kind of missed because it was all coming out when I was trying to stop drinking. So I just stopped listening to UK hip-hop because it was making me too nostalgic, do you know what I mean, to go out and... and, and so I've been kind of going back and retroactively enjoying like Smellington Piff, Jam Baxter, artists of that nature. Bit of Task Force, listening to the music for the great outdoors. Um, what else? Anything else in here? Aye, quite a broad spread to be honest. And obviously I check out all the usual suspects in the Scottish hip hop community. Um, Stanley Odd, Solar Eye, uh, Bose. I obviously very closely follow what Brian, Scott, all the rest of them are doing. Um, so as much as uh, ah, yeah, as much as much as much music as I can consume, uh, then that's what I like today. And I like to. It's good. That's one of the good things. Sometimes about travelling a lot is actually there's no much else you can do but just listen to tunes. So that's where you can actually really sit with them. Although I did try to listen to the new Tom York album, and and at first I was like, "This is shite," and then I listened to it. But the reason I thought it was shite was because was because I was listening to it on a train through the English countryside and it was a pure beautiful day and it was just like cows and fuck just a total juxtaposition of what Tom York's trying to create in your mind. So I waited a few days later when it was raining and I was a bit depressed 
put the headphones on, then I was like, hey, this is probably his best solo work that I've heard. Uh, aye, so that's what I'm at, music-wise. I love Harrodham Hill, solo song is one of my favourite tunes of all time. I've not heard the new solo album, though, I'll check it out. Because they're getting quite, that's definitely males, you hear in the background, they're, they're rocking it, so we're going to go and catch a bit of that, because I think it's probably getting quite noisy here. Aye, aye. And we've done that, we've nearly done about an hour. So just, just Becky, while you're here, what have you got coming up? Yeah, I'm actually working on a new album right now, man, so I'll be checking back in with you with that's fun. I've got a wee side project uh, going on as well, the more like and uh, I've also Try send for me, get a fucking bite. Feeling fancy, free and fertile, loose. Living up in the room, about to let a moose loose. What's bold, you fall a wreck of hoose juice? Or me walking through broom, who's eating couscous? Here, stay to use. A picture of my shoes gets me abusing, mace to use. People talk, I'm calling it quits. Judging by your mom, no, the only cunt here that's talking to pigs. Here, fucking nick of these cunts. Getting sick of these cunts. 2010, I went for the two year knees up. Look at all the lanes I freed up. No saying I'm the best, I'm just saying I'm better than you And every cretin in your crew Some buzz you got, son, the upshot You didn't need to kick the door down, I left it unlocked Gloves half time, fuck that shite Tell cunts you need to think it over Cos you never know, son I might be a king cobra Chilling in a big toga on a pink sofa Sipping soda You wanna be in my league, your big roaster Might wanna get sober Sending this message to cunts that are struggling, cunts that are hurting. I've been a cunt in my life, that's no up for discussion, but you don't get something for nothing. Microphone check, one, two. How many walls do I need to run through? When the bell tolled and it rung true, that shit's gonna hurt when you come to. Every venue, every city, I've been rocking them. Cunts are pulling towards a seven and a half of them. Get his fannies in my face before I bodied them. Asking me what paper I was in, son. Oi, them. Battle rap, I'm a best-selling author, mate. I was happy writing books and drinking coffee, mate. But now I'm hearing people taking pot shots at me. Why I see what kind of man I am, call me. Cunts think I'm washed up like I've been surfing. Taking out while I sleep when I can keep walking. I don't rap for thugs, I assassinate them. I make examples for the people trying to navigate them. Too many flows for cunts, too many shows for cunts. Too many years on the throne getting dope for cunts. Too many people trying to stop a cunt. Leap frog protocol hopping over cunts. Love's half time, fuck that shit. Tell cunts you need to think it over. Cause you never know son, I might be a king cobra Chilling in a big toga on a pink sofa, sipping soda You wanna be in my league, your big roaster, might wanna get sober 
Sending this message to cunts that are struggling, cunts that are hurting I've been a cunt in my life, I still work for discussion But you don't get something for nothing Microphone check, one, two How many walls do I need to run through? When the bell tolled and it rung through That shit's gonna hurt when you come to One, two That shit's gonna hurt when you come to I love you, fuck you Who's up to a few worms, but it come out of the woodwork. Good luck. Ha <laughs> ha. Who's up? Who's up?